text here that has just been sent through, uh, just commenting on what we talked about in our news section about, you know, uh, discussing some of the, the, just the, the failures of our world in, in every sense, but particularly, um, in our, uh, some of our politicians and the things that are coming out about the sexual misconduct in, in parliament. Uh, this message, it reads like this. It says, the Bible tells us that we do not fight against man, but principalities of evil, um, in high places and rulers of the world, not only in Australia, but worldwide. As such, we are all sickened by the situation in our parliament and should not accept it by any means. Such is the world world we live in justice has been trampled on the ground if the whole truth was known we would be amazed not only about sexual misconduct but so many other sins all that has been done in darkness will be brought out into full daylight we will be shocked when we when all will be revealed and god tells and god tells us it will that goes not only for people in high places, but for all of us. Repent while we can. God have mercy come soon. I, I, I love the sentiment that he's put across, particularly at the end. You know, we can, um, end at the start. I, I, I love that message actually. It's, it's very, very heavy, very harsh words, uh, you know, coming from the Bible that firstly, you know, we war not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in high places. You know, this idea that, like, like, it's very clear, I would say, that, you know, we are, the, the struggles that are going on in our world aren't just influenced by people who are totally and utterly evil. Um, let me put it like this. Very few people in the world are self-aware enough to do evil things because they know that it's wrong and they're just going to do it because they know that it's bad. In In many cases... People are just, uh, you know, self-deceived. They do bad things and they justify bad things for good reasons. Mm. Uh, And this is, I believe, like that it's the conflict within human nature. You know, we are made in the image of God to live perfectly and to do the right thing. Yet we have the curse and sin within us. And that creates this crossroad, you know, between our intentions and our actions. Uh, and, and it means that we do bad things for self-justified good purposes, but they're ultimately selfish. Yes. And so we have to remember that like, we are all in this position, uh, that, that ultimately like, whilst we are perpetrators of sin, we are also victims. And that, uh, that's why it was so good. The sentiment that he shared at the end as well, is that we need to repent. Uh, we need to have our sins removed from us because this is what's causing us to do this. But repenting is an action that requires, you know, self-thought. It requires decision. Um, we need to take responsibility, recognize our place where we're at. We're like, look, we're messed up human beings. We do all these terrible things, even though we don't want to. You know, I remember, you know, Romans chapter 7 where Paul's like, I do the right thing because I want to. I, you know, I do the right thing. I do right things when I don't want to. I do, I do wrong things and I don't want to. And he, 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 it's, it's very, very poetic. I don't have the verse in front of me, so I've kind of misquoted it. Uh, but essentially just sharing the idea that like we are at this conflict within ourselves and the only way to solve it is by going to God. Um, now, you know, that doesn't make us completely immune to our state. You know, we are still like, whether, whether we repent of our sins or not, we still have the curse of sin within us. And that, that then requires just this 
constant, this living life, having that relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that will really save us from the missteps of this state that we're in until, you know, as we, as I, as I mentioned at the end of, uh, of the new segment, you know, until the other side of heaven, until we see Jesus coming in the clouds, until restoration is, is made whole within us, mm. you know, we're just stuck in this terrible situation. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just on us now to make the decision to go to God to repent. Rafi, thank you for sending that in. Powerful stuff. And uh, that kind of gets into what we're studying today in Isaiah. We've been covering these last couple of chapters, talking about the restoration and the judgment uh, that would come in various different settings, uh, not only upon uh, Israel um, and their current state, you know, going into captivity, being judged for their missteps, for their wrongdoings, but then finding restoration out of that. Um, but, you know, then that ev- eventually at the end of time, we see the same thing, this, this judgment of the world and then its ultimate restoration to righteousness. Uh, we're going to continue talking about that. We're going to start reading in verse... 19. So, Kate, if you could pick it up in verse 19. Isaiah 66. And let's go to verse 19 to verse 21. Okay. I will perform a sign among them, and I will send those who survive to be messengers to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans uh, and Lydians, who are famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, and to all the lands beyond the sea that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. There they will declare my glory to the nations. They will bring the remnant of your people back from every nation. They will bring them to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. They will ride on horses in chariots and wagons and on mules and camels, said the Lord, says the Lord. Uh, 21 as well, was it? Yes. And I will appoint some of them to be my priests and Levites. I, the Lord, have spoken. Awesome stuff. So verse 19, we'll start there. We touched on this verse yesterday and we talked about the, the wide spreading nature of this sign that would go out among the Gentiles. Yesterday we applied this idea to, you know, essentially we talked about holoformalism and, and that how, you know, it's, it's so, it's so incorrect, you know, just to do the rituals of your faith without actually having the heart of your faith, you know, doing it devoid of its original purpose, which is to bring you closer to God. But once you take that step of doing it, you know, you have that heart change, that conversion, so to speak, then it's, it's like all of a sudden those rituals just become an amazing thing, a light, a sign to the people around them. Um, And we talked about the widespreading nature of this. Do you know where Tarshish is? Uh. Not exactly, do you? Yeah, it's actually, it's in Spain. Um, it's, it's southern Spain. So, uh, you know, if you look at a map today, you have, uh, Spain and right under, underneath it, you have, uh, Morocco, the, you know, top of Africa. And it's like essentially, yeah, just there is Tarshish. It also mentions, uh, Greece, Lydia, all these nations that this sign would go out amongst, uh, because of how, you know, just it would be so widespread. My question now is like okay well how how does it go out there's actually a couple of different answers to this and we're going to be we're going to be discussing that and looking at it you're listening to faith fm positively different radio so let me ask you kate when you think of a, a sign going out you know 
essentially like well what are we describing here uh so the the people going out yeah well it's like you know if if a side if if many people come to know about something from many different various places on the earth like like how does that happen let's let's take it out of the spiritual context right let's 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 take it you know to let's make it about uh anything you know maybe you have a a business Mm -hmm. where you sell cucumbers organically grown cucumbers and organically grown uh, a business where you sell organically grown cucumbers that are really good and you want to share them with your community how would you go about that you tell people you would tell people perfect and give some to people and then they tell people and give some to other people oh, that's the uh, the mlm multi-level <laughs> marketing strat right there word of mouth uh you know it's advertising as well you know uh getting it getting it out uh, amongst the people getting you know getting that message spread i love what you said there though telling people uh there's been lots of studies done that show that the most effective form of advertising by far more than a you know a super bowl ad more than you know a spot in the local paper is word of mouth Mm. if someone that you know and respect and and love and trust tells you that something's good well then you're more inclined to you know, use that product, engage in that activity, whatever it is. You know, Absolutely. 100%. And it's like, what we what we see here is this, this going out uh, as a sign amongst the people. Now, this had two applications. We talked yesterday about the f- kind of, we briefly, I would say, inferred it and touched on it. The f- You know, the application within, you know, just broader, you know, Christianity and spirituality, this idea. Uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more as well. Um, just this idea of you know going out through people's influence and and whatnot you know and that's the life that we can live today that we can be an influence to people we can be an example to people of good things uh you know by having that conversion experience once we you know do our our rituals of our faith once we commit to the orthodoxy of our faith um people see it as a positive thing i mentioned a story yesterday about how yeah when i was 17 i met a bunch of adventists for the first time they're all vegetarian which i thought was a little bit weird but because of their their converted their hearts of faith um because of the love they had for me i started to you know see you know that is a good thing like oh man these people take care of their health and now today of course like i'm, I'm a vegan so uh, <laughs> even though at first i thought it was a bit weird but we see uh this this sign going out so it happens in this broader sense but there's actually also a very specific application of this in the time of isaiah so if we reflect on like the time that isaiah is written what, what do we know about that kate like, if I can grill you, if I can pick your brain a little bit, like, what are the events surrounding Isaiah's ministry and a lot of the things that he's, you know, prophesying going forward in the future? I feel like I want to ask you because you know so much more about this. <laughs> no, can I turn around, no, no, please? no, 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 Sure. Oh, you, you can. <laughs> like, you can. I can talk. But uh, oh, I, just, I just love asking questions. No, it's cool. Well, so, you know, what we know about Isaiah is this is happening around the time of the Babylonian captivity. Um, you know, it's, I think it's directly preceding it pretty much. Um, that basically what happens is Babylon shows up, 
you know, Nebuchadnezzar shows up with the might of might of his army, and I th- I believe it's in 587 BC is when they have you know the this the initial siege of Jerusalem. It's where you know Babylon shows up like no prisoners. Uh, Lyle always talks about he he refers to what's called the Persian Deal, uh, which was Medo Persia's you know form of besieging a city. So Medo Persia would ch- show up to a city. Of course, they they proceeded. Uh, Babylon, they came after Babylon. Medo-Persia would show up and they'll give people what's called the Persian deal, which is where they would rock up and be like, look, we've surrounded your city. We are much mightier than you. You can either, you know, jump on board and be a part of our empire or we'll just destroy you. And, you know, the the people were very likely to make the decision to join the Medo-Persian Empire rather than go against it, uh, because that is hectic. Like, who wants to be destroyed, especially within siege conditions in a fortified city where, yeah, it's it's... Well, this was actually the tactic of the Babylonians, where they were like, oh, no, we're not going to give anyone any deals. We're just going to show up and destroy everything. And, you know, they besieged the city of Jerusalem and, you know, just the harrowing tales coming out of that of mothers eating their children. And and it's like just this heavy, really, really heavy situation. And then they would go on to attack the city, to destroy the city, to take the people captive, to either take them captive. Uh, You know, we see the story of Daniel, for example, where him and his three friends, they, they, you know, they become the best of the captives. Daniel eventually becomes a prime minister of Babylon. They take them as captives, they take them as slaves, slaves, or they kill them. And it's like, really, really heavy situation. But a number of people during that, you know, I mentioned Daniel, a number of people, I also think of characters like Nehemiah as well. There was a number of people during that captivity in Babylon and and later Medo-Persia that were able to do a great work in sharing God's ideals um, with people. They were they were a literal, you know, immediate fulfillment of this idea of God going on as a sign amongst those who escape. Because this is literally, you know, they've had a, a the siege of Jerusalem, you know, the fall of Jerusalem, Babylon taking over as the kingdom. There were those who escaped. There were those who, who got out, who were able to survive. And because of this, you know, they were very heavily dispersed all over the place. You know, Judaism, that was, that was Judaism's like first initial spread around the world. Before this point, they were very isolated. Of course, later on, you know, by the time we get to, to Jesus' time, they were again, very, very insular society. But yeah, but at the, still, although they were insular, we see that, you know, by the time that Paul goes out as a missionary to the world. He's going to Jewish synagogues in Rome, in in uh, you know in Corinth, in in all over the place. It seems like these Jewish synagogues, uh, you know, these Jewish worshippers exist, you know, all all over Europe, all over you know, the Eurasian area, um, you know, all over the Middle Eastern. Um, parts of the world outside of of jerusalem and the reason they existed was because of this dispersion that happened uh because you know because babylon shows up there were those who were captive there were those who were killed and there fortunately those who escaped and they were able to be a real light to the world that we never really acknowledge because we're kind of like oh you know we see the picture of judaism by the time of jesus we're like insular you know whereas 
we see by the time of Paul, like once when when Paul goes to those synagogues, we see that Gentiles are coming and worshiping at those synagogues. They're coming to worship God. So there's a very yeah interesting immediate application of this prophecy. Could you read verse twenty for us there as well? Yes, they will bring the remnant of your people back from every nation. Mm. They will bring them to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. They will ride on horses, in chariots and wagons, and on mules and camels, says the Lord. Mm, so, again, we see uh, the, the the next step of this is when those people go out as a sign amongst the people of of God, of you know His love, of what He stands for. Uh, that ultimately it will draw people to Him. Mm. You know, and this is the real. This is the point of missionary work. In this sense, the the symbol is given in, in a very geo- geopolitical sense that, oh, they would literally come back to Jerusalem. Um, but I feel like Isaiah is saying this symbolically as basically like, one, you know, when the message of God spreads, you know, it's not going to degradate. It's not going to come, become any less. But no, people are going to come to him, yeah. which is... Again, talking against um, maybe some of the the immediate Jewish ideas, especially because you know the reason that the Jewish people, the, Isra- the Israelites, went into captivity was because of their unfaithfulness to God. Their unfaithfulness was caused because of the interminglings. Uh, well, it was caused by their sin first and foremost, yep. but um, that's sort application because of their interminglings with the nations around them and their taking on of false gods, of of Baals and of child mm. sacrifice, and mm. ultimately disobeying God and and you know his uh, his his statutes. But Isaiah is preaching this incredibly revolutionary idea that oh no 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 see the message will go out and it won't. It won't be degraded. It won't be, you know, it won't be made any less, but rather it will draw people to God. It will draw people back here. It will draw people to the truth. You know, Jerusalem, uh, as much as yet it was a real city, uh, that word Jerusalem is place of peace. It will draw people to the peace that they have with God, to that salvation, to that comfort that they can find in him. So, you know, powerful stuff. We're going to pick back up on this topic. We still have a, a little bit to go because I want to get into missionary work and what that looks like in our day. But you're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Uh, yeah, we've been talking a little bit today about what the world needs, and it's, it needs to get itself away from sin. Uh, this is this is the problem, but also it needs the message of Christ because that is the only way that that is able to um, be achieved. But right now, okay, so we just read verse twenty. Let's let's read verse twenty and twenty one. All right, so twenty again. Mm-hmm. They will bring the remnant of your people back from every nation. They will bring them to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. They will ride on horses, in chariots and wagons, and on mules and camels, says the Lord. And 21, and I will appoint some of them to be my priests and Levites. I, the Lord, have spoken. Mm. So, as we talked about, uh, this, this, you know, Isaiah being a very, uh, you know, 
very symbolic book, Bible prophecy, lots of symbols, but there is of obvious, you know, real application, not only just in the future. We talked about just before how there was like an application of the, the literal, you know, the Jewish people were dispersed because of the Babylonian captivity that came upon Israel at the time that Isaiah is writing this. Um, and they, they have the opportunity to go out to be missionaries, essentially, mm. to um, be lights of the world. And that drew people to God. There was a literal sense here. Actually, I think of Pentecost, for example, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch, that story of, you know, all the people from all different nations, important people coming to Jerusalem to worship. And then, you know, there's the Ethiopian eunuch who gets converted. Uh, I I was very stunned to learn that that is actually the the story. The Ethiopian uh, Orthodox Church has existed for almost 2,000 years and they trace their origins to that story. The Ethiopian eunuch shows up in Ethiopia, tells tells the royal family, like, hey, we found, like, the ultimate, uh, you know, the conclusion to our faith. It's Christ. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and they've had a church for, for almost oh, over 2,000 years. So, awesome stuff. <laughs> but it says something really interesting here. It says that these people will be drawn back. And then in verse 21, it says, and that God will take some of them as priests and as Levites. Now, this is very, very strange. And mm. to, you know, a Jewish person at this time reading this, particularly in the time of Christ as well, uh, even today, that would read this and say, that wow. makes <laughs> no sense. It's, yes. it's almost offensive. Uh, why would that be, Kate? Uh, well, um, they were Gentiles. So, mm-hmm. um, the priests were from the line of Aaron. Yes. And the Levites were obviously from the line of Levi. Yeah. Um, and so, so they were definitely Jewish people that were, you know, part of the line of Aaron and, and Levi. Mm. And this is saying the Gentiles. So not only just not Jews, not of the line of, you know, Aaron or mm. Levi, but just strangers almost, mm. they are going to be the priests and Levites. It's like, what? Which is strange <laughs> because it's like, oh, well, okay, they're going to marry into the family. You know, <laughs> they're like, like, what's the steps that are going to be taken here? Are they just literally in a, in a, in a, a metaphorical sense, take on the lineage of, of Levi and of Aaron? No, I, I think that there is something something else going on here. Uh, I, I believe that as as we saw before in verse twenty, you know how yes, there is a little a literal application of this, but it's there's also you know what's more applicable to us, especially today, is the spiritual application of this. Is when God's message goes out, it's not it's not degraded, it's not made any less, but rather it brings people to Him, no matter how far reaching that is. And we have you know stories upon stories of you know. Uh, uh, the message going into places like the islands, you know, where they've never seen modern society, where they've never heard this before, and just, you know, like even, oh man, one of my, um, uh, the the youth director, actually, for the young adult director here in the North New South Wales Conference, his name's Blair Lemke, and his grandfather was a missionary who went to places where they were spreading, you know, they were sharing the gospel with literal cannibals. Yeah, well. um, You know, in, in places like PNG and like the kind of, you know, they're not uninhabited because they have people, but the unreached by society yeah. places. We're seeing this less and less today uh, because of, you know, globalization, the reach of the world. But yeah, this message goes out and it changes the lives of people. But it says that they'll become priests and Levi- Levites. And I, I believe the same way that we can apply uh, verse 20 to have that 
that you know that spiritual message about it that that symbolic message about it that oh it's when it says drawing people to Jerusalem it's drawing people to the place of peace oh that's drawing them to God right. it's drawing them to true worship I you can apply that in a spiritual and a metaphorical um, symbolic sense to to these Gentiles as well because. What was, if I, if I may ask, what was the role of the priests and the Levites? Like, what did they do? Well, they ministered to people on behalf of God. Exactly. The perfect, the perfect answer, Kate. You got it. No. Thank you. <laughs> they were God's representatives on earth. They were the people who, who, who stood, they didn't stand in the place of God, no. nor did they call themselves God, but they represented God to the people. You know, um, the priests, you know, uh, they assisted in that process of helping the people be forgiven of their sins through the sacrificial system. The Levites, uh, they, you know, there were, there were many Levites that, that didn't just help run the temple. They were the social workers of Israel going and helping the poor, the afflicted, the widowed, and giving them spiritual light to help throughout their lives. Um, essentially, this thing would take place amongst the Gentiles. And we, you know, we see that very much today. The, the, the God is essentially has called many thousands of people, many millions of people, many bill, like almost billions of people to, to be in the world, to be representatives of yeah. him. Uh, there are people who do it full time, you know, uh, you, myself and like you, Kate, who are, who are here on radio. Uh, you know, there are people who, yeah, go and get their degree at, I don't know, Avondale College or a theological center. Um, but there are people who just live their lives representing God and they're doing the work as well of calling people and drawing people closer to him. Um, they're lights on the path to heaven. That's a mm. quote from uh, Ellen, Ellen G. White, I believe. Powerful stuff. Lights on the path to heaven. Mm. That essentially, yeah, God has given this work to everyone. Everyone who he's called, everyone who has that experience to him, with him, he's given that work of missionary, you know, that missionary work. Now, is it like, you know, Blair's granddad where you got to, you know, jump on, <laughs> jump on a boat, head to PNG and pray that you don't get eaten by cannibals and <laughs> powerful stories, you know, coming from, coming from those places. Well, yes, it could be. be. Uh, like I said before, some people it's Avondale College. For a lot of people, it's just living their lives, you know, uh, as, you know, loving and lovable Christians, mm. um, seeking the needs of others, being a blessing to them and, and giving them a, a taste of the truth and of, of the love that God has for them. And in turn, just the same as these dispersed Jews went out and set up synagogues and, and people were attracted to him. I think, again, in Paul's time, someone like Lydia you know, a random Gentile lady who was rich and sold purple, but was a worshiper of God mm. being influenced by the, 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 the Jewish culture that was within, you know, Christianity hadn't reached Philippi yet, but the Jewish, the, the taste of Jewish culture that they had in their, their area, she had been convinced of the message far before Paul had rocked up there with the gospel, you know? So it's like powerful stuff that we've seen all throughout history. God's call for people to represent him in, in not only faraway places, but also so in their own circle, um, because I, you know, for me, most of my family are not Christian. Um, for for I don't know about your background, Kate, yeah. but probably a lot of them, a lot yeah, of them you know, are, yeah. a lot of them are. Uh, 
you know, it doesn't matter whether you are from a Christian background or non-Christian background. We all know people who are struggling in their relationships with God. We all know people who are far away from God, who, who don't have a relationship with Him, who have never, you know, sought a relationship with Him. But through our influence, through our uplifting of Christ and our actions and in our love for them, um, that can change. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We have come to Question of the Day. Good stuff. Getting okay. a bit tongue-tied. So what's the question of the day? <laughs> okay. Doesn't Revelation 21 verse 27 imply an incomplete restoration? Ooh. Interesting like to- stuff. Actually, yeah. Uh, you can read read from verse 22 to verse... Actually, just read verse 27 for now. All right. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Mm, Good stuff. So, Revelation 21 is all about the restoration of the world. Um, and we're given a description of this, Revelation 22 as well. And, uh, to give context to that initial verse, we go back to verse, you know, uh, sorry, verse, to verse 27. We go back to verse 22 where it says, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun and the moon shine in it and illuminated everything. Uh, you know, the nations, all those who are saved walk in, in its life and the king of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut. At all by day, uh, and there shall you know bring glory and honor to the nations. And then it comes to oh, but the the those who are defiled um, cannot enter. Abominations cannot enter. Only those who are written in the book lambs, the book of life. So the question is: Is this implying a a, a incomplete restoration? That is, is the reason it's told to us that these people can't enter is because they're still existing? And that there's a, there's a barrier between them. You know, it's like, oh, okay, the, the reason this warning exists that, oh, these people can't enter is because they still exist, which would imply an incomplete restoration. The idea of the restoration is, is, is at the end of time is complete restoration. No more sin, no more nothing. Uh, and, and so it's like, okay, well, if anything, this is kind of a question about timing, about like, okay, well, well we see this reality of no more sin, yet this Bible verse says here that whilst this place is existing, someone, you know, the, these people can't enter. And it's like, oh man, what's the, what's the go with that? Well, ultimately we can clear this up pretty easily with context. If we just go back. So the, the, this is we're reading of section 22 to 27 from nine to 21 is just mentioning, you know, basically the, the, the foundations and the, the literal measurements of the new Jerusalem, like really cool stuff. It talks about how it's made of jasper and glass and gold and diamonds and all these amazing things. But if we take a step before that, we start in verse four. This is preceded by, you know, the new heavens come down. Verse four, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more crying, and no more sorrow. There shall be no more pain for the former things have cast away. Like it's completely done for. It's gone. And we read on, you know, G- uh, Jesus, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water, um, of life freely to those who thirst. But then we come to verse 8. 
But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars have their part in the lake which burns with fire, which is the second death. So this pretty much clears this up as saying, well, the reason that, you know, those who are abominable to God, the reason that, that, that essentially the lost, the wicked can't enter this is because they're destroyed. It's not because, like, there's a guard out the front saying you can't come in and they're still existing. No, they're just destroyed. So the statement is true, and ultimately, yeah, it's it's pretty clear. That's it. The question question um. answered. Those people are destroyed, so of course they can't enter the, the kingdom of heaven uh, because they don't exist anymore. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.